Happy Sagadawa 2020. Sagadawa in the Tibetan tradition is a whole month of celebration. Isn't that fantastic? 30 days of celebration of the birth, enlightenment, and the passing of the Buddha Shakyamuni. So Dawa in Tibetan language means month. And Saka, and I just learned this recently, is a Tibetan astrology term, the Saka star is associated with the full moon of this month. So the Tibetans, of course, you probably know, use a lunar calendar. And so Sakadawa happens in the fourth month of that calendar. This year it began on May 23rd and it ends on June 21st. So we have lots of time left to celebrate. But I wanted to make you this podcast because... On the 5th of June, by the Gregorian calendar, our calendar that we use, there's a full moon. And this full moon is called the Sakadawa Duchen. And it's said that on this day, the merit, the benefit of any thoughts that you have that are beneficial, that are wholesome, any speech, any actions, are multiplied. Some teachers say as much as 100 million times. So this is a great day to practice, June 5th, 2020. So let's talk about some of the traditional Sakadawa observances. And let's talk specifically now how you can do these when you're in isolation or in this time of COVID, maybe when resources are a little tight, but maybe time you have some extra. When we do ceremonial observance or practice of this kind of auspicious day, really what we're doing is making a gesture with the heart or the mind, right? And we do that with the intention to cultivate or sometimes to recognize or experience the mind states and the qualities that are conducive to awakening. So for example, maybe you can't give a material offering Maybe at this time you don't have candles, you don't have uh, the ability to go out and shop, you don't have the money to have something brought to you from online. So what you can do is visualize an offering. So let's say you want to offer candles. I like to visualize one and then make it two and then make it four and then very quickly the entire sky is filled with candles and they're all perfect. That's one of the great things about visualizing. You can make this really beautiful, vast offering. And and another thing that I like about visualized offerings is that when I offer something that I made from the mind, I don't cling. I don't have a little selfish piece that thinks, oh, I wish I hadn't made quite such a big offering. You know, that's not there. So it's very easy to give it away. And this is one of the benefits, I think, of visualized offerings is that we actually train the mind in just freely giving. So never think that a visualized offering is in any way second best to a material offering. So here, let's look at some of the Sagadawa ways of observing the holiday one by one and let's ask the question how can we do that now during the time of COVID even I like to ask a slightly bigger question which is is it possible 
that the very things that are limiting us right now, the fact that we don't have resources, the fact that we can't go out and so forth, maybe the fact that you don't feel good if you have COVID, could those become the strengths of our Sagadawa practice? That's another great question. So first observation, this one's very common. Tibet was, in for many people, a meat-eating culture, generally not fish, but red meat and so forth. So on this day, on Sakadawa Duchen, it's common to refrain from eating meat. So this one's easy, just do it. If you relate to that practice and you relate to the idea that you would not eat a friendly sentient being, fellow sentient being, then just do that on this day. You could do Tonglen, taking and sending practice, if that's one of your practices for animals. You could also do Tonglen for those who are conditioned, that is, those whose habits it is to eat meat, which requires the death of another being. Or you could do Tonglen also for yourself, for having a fixed view about eating meat, or a fixed view about those who do eat meat, or a fixed view about those who don't eat meat. <laughs> so you could do taking and sending for all of that, which is a way of being compassionately present with the confusion and the suffering. If you are a vegetarian or you know how to cook vegetarian or vegan, this would be a great day to make that less harmful dish and take it over to a friend or a neighbor, no judgment, no commentary, just deliver it in a way that's safe. Let them know that you had good health practices, you washed your hands and all of that, and leave it there and let them enjoy that thing, cultivate some sympathetic joy for their experience. Even if you're already vegetarian or vegan, so of course many of my friends are, uh, one of my kids is vegan, you could make choices on this day that don't harm animals in other ways. So already you don't eat their flesh. But some of the non-meat foods are grown or harvested or produced or shipped in such a way that they actually end up harming animals. So you could be a little extra careful on this day. Another common practice during Sagadawa and Duchen is to make offerings to monasteries and nunneries and also to individual practitioners. Some even ordained Sangha, you know, don't have a home-based monastery. They might be wandering, wandering yogins. So this can be done online or by mail, right? No, no reason to not do this during a time of self-isolation. Many of you say you, look, you don't have a job now, you don't have those kinds of resources. So remember that in addition to offering money, you can offer prayers. Yeah, anyone. You don't have to be Buddhist to offer your prayers. Or the, the merit, which means the goodness of your practice. You could, um, through the post office or through a delivery service or through social media, you could deliver words of encouragement um, encouraging photos or images or quotes or well-wishing for ordained sangha. I'm a nun, you know, and sometimes it's hard to live in community. Sometimes it's hard to keep your vows intact. Sometimes it's hard to know that you didn't and to repair them in public way. So any encouragement on the full moon of Sakadawa is really very special, and it doesn't need to be just Buddhist. It can be any tradition. You can even make offerings 
of aspiration prayers for monks and nuns that aren't born yet. Isn't that a nice thought? All right. The next thing on the list is praying and reciting mantra, sacred speech. So this is always, as are all times, always a good time to read prayers, recite prayers, and even to hand copy prayers. This is one of my favorite practices, is to do that. Same thing for mantra. So you can speak those things aloud and fill your mind with positive speech and kind words, understanding that our words are spells. They cause change in the environment and the people and the experiences around us. So let's treat our words like the magic that they are on this day. Next thing on the list is making prostration at sacred sites. So what is a sacred site? When I think of it, I think of going to temples or stupas or rivers in Nepal and India and Tibet. And I've been many of these places in my life. And so making prostrations means to do bowing practice there or kneeling practice if one can't bow. But if we think with a bigger mind, we understand that sacred sites are everywhere, that everywhere is a sacred site. When you bring your pure view there, you realize that it's sacred. So we can do bowing practice to the land, the sky, the water, all of this preciousness that surrounds us every day, no matter where we live. Right in the middle of a polluted city, there are sacred spaces. You could go online or get out your books and look at photos of sacred spaces. You could go to websites. You could look at maps. You could think for a little bit, what's the role of sacred space in our society? And how can I support and maintain these spaces so that they continue to nourish people spiritually? What, what could I do right now today? Of course, you can always create a sacred space in your own home. And I think it's good from time to time to stop and acknowledge the sacred landscape, which is our body, the sacred geography of the body, and to acknowledge the beings that are there inside and to bow to the preciousness of that resource. We won't have it forever, you know. The next practice is to give money to those in need. Money is good. Money is always helpful, right? It's a very flexible currency. But if you don't have money, please know that there are many valuable currencies. Respect, love, any material aid that you have access to. So give, give generously, cause others to give, and enable others to give. And give with, with equanimity, without preference or big opinion about who it is you give something to. And don't document that giving. Let it be a secret practice on this special day. When you're thinking about giving also, I think, uh, recall the basic need of all beings to be safe and free from harm, to have happiness and the causes of happiness. Spend some energy today supporting that however you can. And remember that you too have needs. And so receiving is also a kind of generosity. So if someone offers to help or something, let them on this day, let them cultivate that wholesomeness of body, speech, and mind and accept that with graciousness and appreciation. 
All right, next thing on the end of the list is lighting butter lamps. Now, I am a huge fan of butter lamps. I have many butter lamps. I've made many butter lamps. I love to go to my little neighborhood in Nepal and Bodhana and in the evening take a walk. My brother and I did this last December on our trip there, December before last, sorry. And we lit lots of butter lamps. We collected names of people who had friends or family they wanted us to pray for. And then we took the list and we lit the butter lamps. It was so nice. So much symbolism in the lighting of lamps. You know, one of the symbols is that lights are a symbol of wisdom. So if you don't have lamps, maybe not even candles, you can always switch on a light. But if even that taxes your resources, you can light the lamp of your heart and your mind through prayer and other practice. You can visualize lights. I love visualizing lights. You can be a light. You know, we hear this a lot in the Christian tradition. I like the way that it's talked about. Be a, be a lamp unto the path. Be a light unto other people through kindness, through appreciation, through peaceful activity, through careful speech. Especially if there's someone that you feel some hurt or animosity with, be a light to that person today. Let yourself be that big. We can also do things to quit quit cutting or covering our own light so we can ease up on judgment, ease up on criticizing so that our light can shine. We can also let our creativity be a light. So I was thinking about this and I was thinking when people do creative things, other beings see things in new ways. And it changes the course of the development of their mind. It's so, so important. Art, uh, music of other kinds, any creative speech or creative thinking, all of these are so important. And it's a kindness to share those things with people. So another thing that you could do, I have a lot here on light. and <laughs> I'm laughing at myself, but I love light so much. It's just great every once in a while to sit down and appreciate all of the light that's around you. The sun, the moon, the stars, street lights, headlights. If you look at all of those lights and you think, this is the light of wisdom and it is offered to me and I receive it and I'll use it to benefit all beings. You could even go a step further and you could acknowledge that. And I think this is true that... Everything that you see is the play of light and wisdom. It isn't other than that. All right, next one's a little harder, making pilgrimage to holy places. Maybe on the full moon day on June 5th, if you go anywhere, including your own backyard, you'll recognize the sacredness of that place. And so you move through that space with some respect, some dignity. You care for the objects that are there and you bless them with your presence. Or if you were thinking about going somewhere and you realize actually it's a very fragile environment, maybe you bless it with your absence. Yeah, not trampling it down, not polluting it, not stressing the fragile ecosystem that's there. On the day of Sagadawa Duchen, the full moon, you should visit temples if you can. But if you can't get to a real material temple, 
You could visit the temples of your heart or of your mind, the hearts and minds of others, always trying, as you would with a physical space, to leave it a little bit better than you found it. So we do that with kind acts of body, speech, and mind. And maybe we could also then leave behind the profane places, the mundane spaces of fixed, rock-solid, hardcore opinions. And we could visit the sacred places of not knowing and pay homage to their possibilities. The next thing is that we can buy and release any kind of animal that's destined for slaughter. So in places like India, they buy whole bullocks, whole um, bovines. You know, they don't, they don't kill cows in India, but they kill other kinds of animals. And so in, in Nepal as well. And so people buy those animals and they set them free or they give them a home or they give them a better home. And people do that with fish and all kinds of animals. And what I want to say about that is that's a great practice to buy an animal that was destined for slaughter and release it. So maybe you buy crickets that were going to be snake food and you just let the crickets go and have their little, their little cricket life. But it doesn't help so much, I think, even though the intention is good. And of course, that shapes positive karma. But it doesn't help to release an animal into a situation that is more damaging to us or more risky than it was when they were lined up for slaughter. So if you release a mouse in the middle of a busy freeway, it's not so good, right? So we have to do this with some thoughtfulness and intelligence. One thing now, living here in the Pacific Northwest that we can do all winter long is when we're living in a place that's soggy, as I do now, Sometimes earthworms come up to the surface and they crawl to drier spaces. And sometimes those spaces are things like sidewalks and parking lots. And so I like to pick them up and put them not back in the soggy space, but somewhere that's maybe a little safer. I was once doing that in Mirik in India. Very foggy morning, very, very early on my way to service. It was kind of dark. Had my shawl pulled around me and I was picking up earthworms and just moving them to the side of the road. It was just great rivulets of water running down the road. And I felt a little embarrassed, and I thought to myself, I hope no one sees me doing this practice. It probably looks a little crazy, right? Picking up earthworms. And then through the fog came this old monk, and he had a pair of handmade bamboo tweezers. And very gently, he was picking up earthworms and moving them to the side of the road. And he saw what I was doing, and he didn't speak English. He put his thumb up in the air, and he said, well, he spoke a little English, he said, Oh, good. Very, very good. So you can do that practice, too. Think of that, monk. Next thing on the list is, we're getting towards the end of the list here, circumnambulating clockwise around stupas or other holy places. Generally, we do this reciting mantras or prayers. And this is just one of my all-time favorite practices to take my rosary, my mala, go to the stupa and bodhana, and all the, the two, two times a day, all of the community turns out to chant and turn prayer wheels and just enjoy each other's company as we practice. So I'm really fond of that. 
But maybe you don't have a stupa in your neighborhood or in your home. So one thing you can do, and I love this practice also, is put your pictures, your things from your altar or your texts or all of those things on a nice clean cloth on a table and circumnambulate the table. This is so nice thing to do. Another thing that I like to do with this circumnambulation is I used to have a pug, a really old guy, and I liked to pick him up and carry him around the table, circumnambulating, and make prayers for his future birth so that he would have some connection with the practices. <laughs> Another thing you can do, it's very common to do, it's a little more complicated during the uh, Sakadawa Duchen, the full moon, is a short nunye practice. So nunye is this practice that runs in cycles. So you could do a two-day cycle, which is one nunye. And then in this um, practice, you consider beings in the hell realms and you refrain from eating and drinking for a good part of the time. But maybe you don't have the text for that, or maybe it's not good for your body, diabetic or something, and I think it's better not to fast. Or maybe you just haven't even heard of Nunye, and that just seems a little overwhelming. So you can also just maintain the spirit of the practice by thinking about people who are suffering during this time, or any time of confusion, by praying for them, by making offerings on their behalf or practicing on their behalf. And one piece of what we're doing here that's so important is we are cultivating our own willingness and our own ability to be present with people suffering. This is so good to do. And you can do another kind of fast. You could do a media fast or a complaint fast or a judgment or a self-judgment fast for that day. Okay, you could take the eight Mahayana precepts. So some of you will have taken them and held them very long and very nicely for a very long time. But if you haven't taken them, you can, and it is traditional to take them for uh, a period of time and dissolve them at the end of that time. So maybe you take them in the morning when you wake up, and then you let them go the next morning when you get up. So you could take all of the precepts, one of the precepts. You could focus on one that's been challenging for you. Maybe no stealing is something that you just have a hard time doing. Or maybe there's one that's easy for you and it's just, just joyful and energizing to do it. Maybe you could work on that one extra lot on this day. You can read about the precepts, talk about them, contemplate them, recite them, write them down. If you don't feel ready to engage with the precepts, you could think about others who have taken them, who keep them. So I live in a monastery where people if are offered the precepts. In fact, there's a ceremony tonight. A woman will take the precepts. And we, we, we recite them every Friday before we start our hosen, our day off. I love that practice. We could all do that, recite this precepts on Fridays to remind ourselves before we let down our guard a little bit for the weekend that we should carry those precepts and their goodness out into the world. If you've taken precepts but you've let them slide or 
bruised or broken or fractured your precepts in some way, this is a great time to repair them. And maybe to spend some time figuring out what it means and what it looks like and then to create the resolve to not be so careless with these very precious practices in the future. If you haven't taken the precepts and you don't feel ready to take them, you could also just make strong aspirations to take them at some point in this life or even in future lives. Another thing I like to do is read about the precepts and other traditions and appreciate so many diverse ways that wisdom traditions have thought of and have crafted to honor this basic spiritual laws, not stealing, not lying, uh, not putting other people down to lift ourselves up and so forth. So I like to celebrate from time to time how it's done in other traditions. It's really a good day to embody the precepts with your whole body, your body, your speech, and your mind, but to really feel the precepts, to feel not stealing in your body, to notice how with our body we steal someone else's space, someone else's confidence, someone else's ease. A really good time to do that. So the last thing on the list is it's very traditional to perform some sort of a ritual service. Sometimes we call these pujas to honor the Buddha Shakyamuni because this Sagadawa is about his life or his lifetimes or their lifetimes. It would be appropriate, I think, to use that pronoun for the Buddha. So you could, if you have a Buddha image or many images, take out big pictures and statues and books, not just Asian Buddhas, but anything that you acknowledge as an awakened being, anyone that you acknowledge as awakened being, female Buddhas, male Buddhas, genderless Buddhas, all gender Buddhas. Honor them, clean them, attend to them, thank them. Fill the sky of your mind with Buddhas. Fill your body with Buddhas, or you could say recognize that it is filled with Buddhas already. You could spend extra effort aligning your attention with the meaning of Buddha. Awakened fully, non-returning to suffering. Think about how many lifetimes it took the Buddha to awaken fully. How many lifetimes did they have to put their energy of every kind into waking up? And don't miss the opportunity during Sakadawa and every day, all the time, to honor and contemplate your own Buddha nature. You have, the Buddha said, and the enlightened being said, you have exactly the same potential that he had. So you practice with confidence. Practice feeling the possibility that you can awaken fully or that you are awakened. And cultivate the resolve to own this and to live in that awakened way. And then turn that towards other beings and realize every single sentient being has exactly that potential. So I gave you so many things, probably too many things. This talk is a little longer than usual. On Sakadawa, take some small step at least. You have time. 
You have a minute. You have two minutes. Do one bow. Make one offering. Take an apple from the fruit bowl. Polish it up. Wash it up. Make an offering. Say one prayer. If you don't have time to read it, just speak from the heart. Make a vow, even a dissolving vow that you hold for three breaths and it then goes away. When you finish your practice, stay right there. Do one more minute of mindful awareness or or enact one small act of generosity or one big one off the cushion on this day and consider the possibility that it's true that on this very day, whatever you do is multiplied by hundreds of millions of times and just let yourself be tickled by that. Feel that energy in your body. What does it mean to bow once and have it multiplied a hundred million times? How much energy would you feel? I would say fill the day with as much practice as you can, whether that's big or small, and fill your mind with all the possibilities that exist, even in this time of self-isolation. We are not walled off. We couldn't be walled off from other beings if we wanted to be. Interconnectedness is a fact. Let your world be as big as it is. Your world does not end at the corners of your room or the end of your hallway or your driveway. Do all of your Sakadawa practice and everything you do on that day in the wide open, not isolated, non-self space of awakening heart and mind. Thank you.